Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. Back in 2009, I wrote a review of my guest's book. Uh, it was a book back then in 2009 called Googled. And I said, I asked the question and I was very open. Is there another need for a book about Google? Uh, Ken Orletta's book, uh, Googled, was a big success. Like most of his books, he's one of our best known uh, writers, commentators, New Yorker reviewer, uh, best selling author. And he has a new book out, not about Google, which has been written about a great deal, but about someone, an individual who's been written about, if anything, more than Google, Harvey Weinstein. And I'm thrilled and honored uh, that Ken Aletta is joining us. He's a national treasure. And I guess, uh, Ken, you've written a book about a national disgrace. So let me ask you the same question I asked about your book, Googled, back in 2009. Why the need for a book about Harvey? You know him very well. You've written a series of profiles. You wrote a, book, uh, you wrote a profile, very famous profile in 2002 in the New Yorker, which touched on a lot of the things that eventually brought him down. Uh, what are you bringing to the party, uh, Ken, in uh, Hollywood Ending, your book about Harvey Weinstein that is out right now? Well, what I tried to bring, I, I mean, if you look back, Ronan Farrow and the two New York Times reporters in the fall of 2017 exposed Harvey and for the first time got women to talk and describe his beastly be sexual behavior. And they did a great job. But I thought what was missing from Harvey were, were, were some questions. For instance, the mystery of what made Harvey Weinstein the monster he became. Second question, how did Harvey Weinstein abuse his power? And what power did he have and how did he use it? Third question, the enablers. For him to have committed over 100 sexual abuses over four decades, People had to know and had to have enabled him to do that. I wanted to explore the enablers and the culture that enabled it, not just in his company, Miramax and the Weinstein Company, but in Hollywood itself. And fourth, I was fascinated by the relationship between the two brothers who were business partners, closest friends, and then have such a falling out that by 2017, Bob Weinstein, the younger brother, fired Harvey Weinstein from the company. Ken, do you think you're the right person to write the book? You're the ultimate insider, for better or worse. You've known the Weinsteins for many years. Um, you have access to all these people. Uh, you live uh, in their world. Did you fear that you were too much of an insider? I get the sense from the book that you're struggling with your own relationship with Weinstein. You recognize both his genius and his evil, and that's something you are struggling to calibrate both in the book and in your mind? I, there's no question I struggle. And the struggle is Harvey Weinstein's a guy I wanted to punch in the nose for what he did. And yet- Who doesn't, I, Ken? We'd all love to punch him on the nose. But, and yet he did amazing movies. And so a biography should not just be hit him over the head, prosecute the son of a gun. It should be describing a whole person. And a whole person, Harvey, is not just a monster. He was also a talented guy, big movies. So I struggle with trying to create 
a, a comprehensive biography. I had no struggle. I had no feeling of conflict. Harvey Weinstein, when I profiled him in 2002 in the New Yorker, hated that profile, didn't speak to me. I have no relationship with these people. So for me, it was, it was quite easy to write harshly about Harvey Weinstein. Why didn't you bring him down, Ken? I mean, the, the, the article you wrote in 2002 makes a number of suggestions which were revealed by Farrow and by Twomey and the other New Yorker New York Times writers and investigators. What is it about um, Weinstein's ability to survive that's so troubling? Well, if you go back to 2002, what happened? I had whispers from people that he abused, had abused two women at the Venice Film Festival in 1998, Rowena Chu and Zelda Perkins, neither one of whom would talk to me. I had heard that they had signed a non-disclosure agreement and heard that Harvey had paid them almost $500,000. I confronted Harvey in my last of 12 hours of interviews with him, confronted him with these, the names of these two women. He denied it. He said, Ken, we paid money just to keep them quiet because I was being blackmailed. They would tell my wife and expose my young, three young daughters. So I couldn't get the women to talk to well, me. Well, you don't way. expect him to confess to you. I mean, it's almost given that he would deny it. Oh, but you, if you're not the National Enquirer, and the New Yorker is not the National Enquirer, I couldn't publish a story unless I had the women on the record, or some, some people on the record, saying he had done this. I had no one on the record. Unlike the, the amazing job that, that the two Times reporters and Ronald Farrow did some years later, 2015, they got women to talk, many women to talk. I, I couldn't I couldn't succeed at doing What that. changed over the last 20 years? Of course, the, the Weinstein case created the Me Too movement. Um, was it simply that Weinstein abused so many women over the years that in the end, uh, it was inevitable that women would become more public? Or um, has the culture changed? The culture of Hollywood and the broader journalistic culture? Well, there's no question if you go, if Harvey's exposed in the fall in October of 2017, prior to that, Bill Cosby was exposed, Roger Ailes was exposed, um, uh, several other people, prominent people were exposed. So that's, that's a change and that emboldens people maybe to speak out more. And clearly there were the Me Too movement, the beginnings of the Me Too movement was raising the consciousness of people in society. But you can't deny, and I would, and I think the biggest credit goes to those three reporters who you mentioned, who got these women comfortable enough to come out and talk. And one of the ways they did that, they got them to come out in a group, not alone. They were not solitary figures speaking about Harvey and risking lawsuits, fines for breaking the non-disclosure agreement. They were surrounded by other women who were saying the same thing. But their ability, their empathy to get these women to feel comfortable enough to talk is extraordinary and, and worth applause. Ken, Weinstein, as you know, and again, this isn't news, was a monster. He's a monster in terms of the physical, the, the threat of physical violence that he brings. Some of the stuff I've read about in your book and other writings suggest that he was a man who was not shy about physically confronting people. And of course, like men like President Donald Trump, he, he, he knows or knew all the, the legal ways of intimidating people too. He was a man brilliant at intimidation, wasn't he? He was a master of it. 
Yeah, he was. And, you know, in the 2002 profile I wrote of him, which was 20,000 words long, I described him getting into fights with people, how he abused people verbally and even sometimes physically. The sexual stuff I could not get confirmed by, by people on the record, so I couldn't use the sexual stuff. But he was portrayed as exhibiting monstrous behavior. Wasn't it known though? Uh, you, know, you only have to go on the internet, see pictures of Harvey Weinstein arm in arm with Hillary Clinton, many other very prominent politicians and entertainment people. Was this, um, was this one of these things that everybody knew about that no one was really willing to address? They all, when I went, I interviewed over 200 people for this book. And what they would say to me is we knew he cheated on his wives. Uh, we didn't know he was raping women. And what about the woman who ferried women to his hotel suites, I would ask. And they said, well, we ferried the woman, but then we left. We didn't know what going on. But I, I, I'm skeptical of, of some of this because as I show repeatedly in the book, many people knew. Uh, there's a woman by the name of Hil Hillary Silver who went for a job interview, was given a job, very attractive woman, given a job, and she was all excited. She went to Europe on a previously scheduled vacation. She came back and four members of Harvey's team asked to take her out for drinks. And she's in this wonderful, such a welcoming place. They're taking me out for drinks the night before I begin work. And what they do with drinks? They said, Hillary, you don't want to come to work here. You're an attractive woman, he will attack you, he will assault you, don't come to work here. And she didn't come to work. But these were four people, one in human resources, two executives, and one who was Harvey's assistant, one of his four assistants. So clearly, it, many people who worked for him knew he was abusing women. And several actresses say they had told their agents, I report this in the book, and their agents did nothing about Kenya, the Maureen Dowd uh, piece from the New York Times last week that broke your book, uh, quotes one of your friends and associates suggesting that you're essentially the opposite of Weinstein, um, even suggesting that you're, you're too good, you're too pure a man to understand sexual criminality. How would you respond to that? I think all of us are too deaf to understand the kind of behavior that Harvey Weinstein exhibited. Um, I mean, just to explore it as I try to do in the book is, is appalling. And one of the conclusions that, that I had to reach and just trying to understand how this guy could do these, these terrible things is that Harvey's a sociopath, that, that, that he just, there's something wrong with him. And people- Isn't that a kind of a cop out to call him a sociopath? Why? Well, because that's the end of the conversation. No, it's not. It, it, it doesn't mean that's the only thing he is. And it doesn't excuse him. He's in prison deservedly for his crimes. Uh, a jury found him guilty of committing those crimes. And over 100 women uh, bear the scars of, of his behavior towards them. Literally, so, and, uh, and of course, metaphorically. You suggest, Ken, that you approach the book in terms of trying to, to work out his secrets. Of course, the lots of movies made like that, most notably Citizen Kane and this idea of Rosebud, this secret that was never a secret of making sense of a man's life. Did you ever find the Rosebud in Harvey Weinstein's life? Is it conceivable? Is there a Hollywood narrative to this Hollywood ending book? I actually say I don't believe there's a single Rosebud. I think there are some clues to, to explain some of his behavior. For instance, the yelling 
and, and the abuse of people, verbal. His mother, Miriam, when he was a child, one of the things in interviewing his childhood friends, I found is that she was constantly yelling and particularly yelling at him, Harvey, you're too fat. Harvey, stop eating. Harvey, don't do this, don't do that. And they would play poker every weekend, the friends, Harvey and his friends. But the friends told me they refused to play poker at Harvey's house. Why? Because Miriam yelled too much. So Miriam, Harvey's yelling in the office and throwing ashtrays, you could argue is very much an extension of, of the kind of behavior he, he was subjected to as a kid. It's more complicated than that, though, of course, as you note in the book, because the other complex and really interesting relationship he has is with his brother, Bob Weinstein, uh, who was anything but Harvey. He wasn't a yeller. How do you explain Miriam having these two sons? Or maybe I'm wrong about Bob. Uh, well, you're wrong about the early days of Bob. Bob in the early days of Miramax was just as fearsome as, to the people who worked there as Harvey was. He was a yeller. Bob then went in for treatment for alcoholism in, in the early 2000s and came out a very different person, person very sensitive, very much in touch with his feelings. And one of the things he, he described to me in a series, multiple series of interviews that I did with Bob Weinstein is how he can never communicate to his brother. His brother really had no capacity to look inside himself and, 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 and analyze himself and his own weaknesses. And Bob did have that capacity. So he became a changed man in many ways. Was there a father to these Weinsteins, a husband to Miriam? Max was a diamond cutter. He died of a heart attack at 52 when Harvey and, and Bob were in college. And, and um, they were close to him. He was the man who took them to the movies on Saturdays, introduced them to movies in Queens where they grew up. Because Miriam liked to go to the hairdresser on, on Saturdays. So did Mary she yell at the hairdresser, Ken? I bet she did. Did I go to a hairdresser? No. Did, did, did Miriam yell at the hairdresser? I, I assume, but I don't know. <laughs> I didn't interview a hairdresser. Anyway, Max was the one who, he would take the movies, often fall asleep in the movies. But they loved the father. And, he, and they, that's where their, their love affair with movies began. And then they started to see foreign films. Truffaut and, and others, and they just, they said, we want to be in the movie business. I want to get back to the, the central question in your book about how a man like Weinstein, with such fine aesthetic taste, a lover of Truffaut, of foreign movies, of French films, and maker of many great movies, could have turned into such a monster. I just want to go back to Bob. It's all very well talking about, well, Bob was an alcoholic and he was a yeller. And then he went to therapy and he came out and he got in touch with his feelings. And then he realized that there was a problem with uh, Harvey and he could never talk to him. I don't know if you have a brother, uh, Ken, I do. And he, however monstrous he was, I'm not sure I'd ever go public. Why do you think Bob Weinstein went so public in his critique of Harvey? Why was he even willing to talk to you about it? Well, he wasn't at first willing to talk to me. I had to work on him and get him. It took me about a year to get him to talk to me. And then, and then he opened up. And How I does that work up, when you say you had to work on him? Do you have to take him out for dinner? Beg him? We, he ultimately agreed to have an off-the-record dinner with me. And so what I did carefully was not take out a notepad or my tape recorder at, at the interview and just tell him what, what my intention was. I wanted to write a book and understand the whole them, the two brothers, the company, and Harvey, and what made him Harvey. And 
eventually he agreed. And we had a series of, of, of interviews, sometimes lunch interviews, more often telephone interviews, um, where he opened up. I mean, he's, he's a guy who was deeply angry at his brother. I mean, his brother basically bankrupted the company they were in and by, by his exposure, was spending money profligately, much to, to Bob Weinstein's chagrin. And, and ultimately, Bob, as I said earlier, fired Harvey and hasn't spoken to him to, since early 2018. He just cut him off. And so he's angry with his brother. And he, and he wants, he, he, he thinks the jury did the right thing in convicting his brother. But why didn't he get a, I mean, again, this certainly wasn't news to Bob Weinstein. I mean, he Bob, knew exactly what his brother was up to. He says what, he didn't. I he didn't? I questioned him hard on that. I said, how'd you not know that he was raping him? And I said, I had no idea. I knew he cheated on his wife. And at one point, Bob paid the settlement for those two women from the Venice, Venice Film Festival, almost $500,000 out of his personal account. I know that because I, I was hoping when I couldn't get the woman to speak, I was hoping that I could nail Harvey by showing that Disney, which was the parent company, or Miramax, Harvey's company, had paid and therefore someone's going to jail and I could write the story. Uh, about a crime being committed. But when I said, I need to see the, how you paid for it, he resisted. I said, I need to see it tomorrow because we go to press the day after tomorrow. And the next day, Bob came, accompanied his brother to the meeting with me and the editor of The New Yorker and across the table slid two canceled checks from Bob, personal checks. Bob paid. I said, Bob, why did you pay this money? He said, my brother said that he was, he was being blackmailed by these women and his family would be disrupted and his young kids embarrassed. I said, didn't you know he attempted to rape Rowena Chu? And, and he says, I had no idea. Do you believe him? I mean, I can't prove he's not telling the truth. Well, and but that's, but, but, but the, are, are your instincts to believe him? The subtitle of your book, Ken, is Harvey Weinstein and the Culture of Silence, which suggests that there is in Hollywood in particular, a culture of convenient silence. Everyone will say, well, I didn't know what he was doing. I just thought he was cheating on his wife like everybody else in Hollywood. See, one of the basic questions about the culture is, are people in denial? Do they deny to themselves what they should know um, and, and therefore allow them to persist and go on in life? Is that true of Bob? It might be. I mean, can I with certitude say it is true? No, I can't. I can't say that with certitude except for some people I, like, I, uh, Ken, I have a very good friend who's a fairly powerful music uh, movie person, a female. She told me these stories years ago. I mean, this was, I wouldn't say it was common knowledge, but it, it, it came as a shock to nobody, did it really? I mean, this culture of silence is a convenient one. It's rather like in the Roman Catholic Church, isn't it? No question, or well, the police, the blue wall and the, and the police, sure. People don't want to, they want to conform. They don't want to be called rats. They don't want to rock the boat. There's no question about that. I believe that many people did know. Certainly many people should have known and done more than they did. And, and you know, we've had people, Academy Award hosts saying, you, you five women no longer have to pretend that Harvey Weinstein is attractive. And so there were examples of people talking or making fun of Harvey's sexual proclivities. How much do you think that the Weinstein story speaks to the, the general rottenness of Hollywood? 
I think it speaks a lot, but I think it speaks to more than the rottenness of Hollywood. I mean, if you look at the, the culture of silence in Hollywood and the people who work for Harvey, and, and you look today at the Republican Party, Donald Trump, the former president, goes out there and, 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 and spreads a big lie that he actually won the election and fraud was committed by the Biden Democratic forces. And what, how many Republicans say that's a lie, Donald Trump? You can't say that. Most don't. They go along with it. It's very, it, they're enabling Donald Trump the same way people in Hollywood enabled. Yeah, but the, the thing I think from a progressive point of view, there's something much more troubling about Weinstein. He was a man who donated to many liberal causes, uh, abortion rights causes. If, if, if Weinstein hadn't been disgraced, he'd be on the front lines of the fight against Roe versus Wade. It, it, it's particularly chilling and creepy, isn't it, Ken? I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, look at NBC. NBC, Ronan Farrow was doing the story for them. They claim he didn't have the goods and they fired him, basically. And they not only fired him, but they told Harvey Weinstein a week to 10 days before they fired Ronan Farrow that don't worry, Harvey, we're not doing the story. I mean, and then when I went to the New Yorker, the editor of the New Yorker who, ed who edited Ronan's piece, I said, NBC says he didn't have any information until he came to the New Yorker. That's when he did the reporting to expose Harvey. He didn't have it at, at NBC. I said, what did he bring to you when he came to the New Yorker? And they said, he brought exactly what he had told me he brought. He brought three women on camera who claimed they were abused by Harvey. He brought five women shielded but on camera without their names, saying that Harvey abused them. And he brought the audio tape of the Italian model who Harvey had grabbed her breasts. So he brought all the evidence to the New Yorker from NBC, and yet NBC didn't run that story. And I mean, I, I would argue they enabled Harvey. It's or a terrible story, but as you say, um, Ken, it's, it's more complicated because this was a man with great, in, great artistic and intellectual taste. What is your favorite movie that he produced? Oh, I, I mean, I mean, you can tick off Pulp Fiction. Yeah, the Tarantino I, relationship. I love, I love crying. Yeah, but the the Tarantino relationship is particularly somehow symbolic of I don't know whether it's the, the culture of silence. Like who knows what Tarantino knew or didn't know? Well, he's acknowledged, and I quote him, he acknowledged to Jody Cantor and Meg Tui, and I quote them in the book, saying, I knew because he had dated Mira Savino, and he had also cast um, an actress, Uma Thurman, who had told him, both had told him that Harvey tried to abuse him. And yet he said, I kept silent, and I'm, I'm ashamed of that. So he knew. Tarantino's perhaps a little bit more honest, but he has the power to be more honest. Do you think there's a connection between the kinds of films that Tarantino made with its mock glorification of violence, particularly violence against women, and the world and the life that Weinstein led? Well, I, I think there's a, a broader connection in Hollywood between women, how women are abused and women portrayed. If you look at, at Hollywood, I mean, I go back and I quote Ilea Kazan, his autobiography, in which he claims in that, he said, one of the things the old Mughals, Mughals who started Hollywood studios understood, him, was him talking is that the key to casting a woman in a movie is, do you want to sleep with her? He used a different phrase than sleep. Mm. That, that's key. And I think that was key to Harvey. I mean, Harvey knew that, that. And if you look at Hollywood, 
It's a place where women, it's one of the few places in most industries, attractive women are not in close proximity to their boss. In Hollywood, the women are the young aspiring actors. And you look at any red carpet and what do you see? You see plunging necklines, women who, who, who emphasize their sexual attractiveness. And, and you look at ads for fashion magazines or fashion statements, and you see more skin than you see clothes. So that sex sells. And, and, and so I think one of the things that happens with people like Harvey, I mean, that's not to deny in my judgment, he was at least a sex addict, if not a sociopath. But one of the things that happens is a guy like that, like many politicians, they confuse a compliment with a come on. Oh, she really wants me. Well, she didn't actually. She wanted to be in your favor. Maybe she wanted to roll in your movie, but she didn't want to be raped. The, the, the kind of movies that an Ilya Kazan would make versus the one that a Quentin Tarantino would make are very different. They are. Tarantino does, you know, I mean, this is a complicated issue, of course, and I, I'm a big admirer of his work, but he does um, fetishize gratuitous violence. Um, is there a connection between Weinstein's clear sort of dismissal of violence in his own life and the kind of violence that perhaps Hollywood dismissed in, in, in movies like Pulp Fiction? I, I mean, I think Har Harvey and Bob at Miramax thought they were pushing the envelope. Uh, and, they, and they were taking a movie that Tarantino's movies, which normally would be deemed independent movies, not big Hollywood movies. And suddenly they were big Hollywood movies with big box office for it. And they understood that one of the keys is to shock the audience. Really, oh my God, look what's happening on the screen. Tarantino does that brilliantly. And, and I think that was a, a real attraction for the Weinstein brothers. The book's called Hollywood Ending, Ken. You mentioned red carpet. I did a an interview with Eric Schwartz, well, the, uh, new, the, the, the Wall Street Journal reporter has just written a really interesting book about Chinese investment in Hollywood. Do you think that- I haven't read that, I wanna read it here. It's yeah, it's a really interesting book and it could be read sort of in, a, in, a, in an odd way in parallel with you. That's what my question is about. Is there some sort of symmetry between how rotten Hollywood has gotten with a figure like Harvey Weinstein and the, the, the broader cultural crisis, massive Chinese investment, uh, a movie industry now that only does repeats. And, and a, an industry that, that obviously pulls its punches in China. They to put it mildly, right? Mildly, and that book, obviously, I've read accounts of the book, demonstrates that. So yeah, I mean, there's lots of reasons to question the ethical standards of, of Hollywood. No question about that, including going back to tolerating Harvey Weinstein. Um, so my book is an, hopefully an exposure of that ethical you know, weakness in Hollywood as, as the book you just cited is. What do you know now about Harvey that you didn't know before embarking on this, this new project, the book itself? I mean, you obviously knew a great deal as an insider, as the author of that uh, 2002 New Yorker piece, but what did the research of this book revealed to you, stuff that you didn't know? Well, one of the things I didn't know, I, I, I mean, going back through his childhood, meaning junior high school, high school, first three years at the University of Buffalo, I found no evidence. Harvey dated very infrequently in those years. He dated occasionally, but not, 
he didn't have steady girlfriends. Uh, it was not known as a you know, Don Juan type. But he also, I found, did not abuse women. I could find no evidence that he abused women all through those years into his early 20s. He only started to abuse people, and this is something I learned, when he had power. He became a rock promoter. He drops out of college after his junior year, becomes a very successful rock promoter. The Rolling Stones come up to Buffalo. Frank Sinatra comes up to Buffalo. I mean, he had all these acts, Billy Joel, et cetera. And when he had that power, that's when he started abusing women. So the aphrodisiac of power obviously helped turn him on to I can get away, I can do what I want. I mean, he owned a little nightclub up there and the women were told to wear skimpy dresses and he would constantly bark to them, bend a little lower so I can see more. The customers want to see more. And then he would offer them a ride home and then abuse them in the car. So it was a drug essentially, power, which led to his abuse of women. It certainly had something to do with it, sure. I mean, it wasn't his physical attractive. <laughs> no reason Harvey would think that I am. Yeah, I, I don't think you'll, you'll, you'll find any debate on that one. <laughs> Although, again, it, it's rare to find a man who looks, uh, whose, whose inner and outer life resembles one another. It's, it's, it's something that um, even Hollywood struggle, would struggle with without one. I mean, even Citizen Kane didn't quite look like uh, his, his, his outer world. The yeah. Orson Welles didn't quite look like his inner world. I know quite how. Uh, that's happened with with uh, Harvey. He's going to die in jail, isn't he? He doesn't have much left. No, he's got a stent in his heart. He's got stenosis in the wheelchair. He's got high blood pressure, really severe diabetes, high cholesterol count. Uh, he's blind in one eye. I mean, he's he's not. In, he takes four, 20 pills a day. He's not in good shape. So the, when he shows up in court, a lot of people think when he shows up in court now with that Walker that he's he's doing a Hollywood act, but it actually isn't. Has everyone turned his back on him? His 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 ex-wife, his children, obviously his brother, all his relatives. Is anyone standing by him? Yeah, he's got a, a Dr. William Correo, who is his roommate in freshman year at Buffalo. It remains very close to him, often accompanied Harvey to the trial. I was at the trial every day and Correa was often there. He's, he's a pal, but his three daughters from his first marriage don't speak to him. His two wives, divorced, his last wife divorced him after this broke. Uh, the first wife, Eve, doesn't talk to him. The second wife, politely, because they have two young kids, eight and 10 years old, she, she politely talks to him, but he's, he can't see the kids. He's in LA in a, in, a, in a prison. His brother stopped speaking to him. At one point, heart, which was revealed in the courtroom, Harvey wrote a note saying, I feel suicidal. Now, was that just a PR stunt? Well, so he should, Ken. If, he doesn't, if you don't feel suicidal after what he's going through, I don't know when you would. Is there a connection between him and, um, Jeff, uh, and, and Epstein? No, not that they knew each other. No, I, I understand. I, I don't mean literally, but symbolically. I mean, these are the two men who, more than anyone else, seem to capture the, the, the excesses of, of, of white powerful men and their mistreatment, their criminal mistreatment of women, particularly younger women. And, and Harvey, you know, Harvey didn't just abuse, he abused women in their 40s and women in their 30s and women in their 20s, but in several cases, they were teenagers. I mean, for instance, uh, what's her name? The actress, Kate Beckinsale. Uh, she was 17 years old, she was in high school and she went up to see Harvey in the suite and he, he put a move on. 
And she was just to say, no, I have to go home and do my homework. And then 15 years later, he sees her. She's now a, a, an established figure in, in Hollywood. And he says, can I ask you a question, Kate? And she said, sure. She said, he said, did I ever put a move on you? Did I ever try and, you know, have sex with you? And she said, no, you, you actually talked, you verbally welcomed me into your, his, your bedroom, but I didn't go. But he, he did it so many times he couldn't remember whether this beautiful woman he had had or tried to have sex with. Profoundly gross, man, profoundly gross uh, story, Ken. I, I'm sure you took a very long shower after writing the book. Can, has it or can it reform Hollywood? Has it changed anything? We hear a lot about Me Too in a very Hollywood style way, uh, but one guesses that the, I mean, there may not be Harvey Weinsteins in, in, in Hollywood still, maybe there never was another Harvey Weinstein, but the, ca uh, the, 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 the couch and casting on the couch, I guessing still goes on. Well, there's no question it goes on, but there's, but there's also no question that fear and shame are powerful deterrents. I mean, you, you talk to, and I have, to Hollywood executives who say that they, if they meet with a woman in their office, they always leave the door open. And oftentimes they don't meet alone with them because they're afraid they may be accused or may, you know, of, of sexual harassment of some kind. So there's no question that it's had some salutary effect. Is it 100%? Not even close. I'm sure. But aren't some men and perhaps women waking up to the fact that this is simply not the way you should behave? I would think so. I would hope so. But, you know, the, I don't know how you do a poll of that because people are not going to tell the truth. And, and so you would hope it's true. But I'll tell you, there's, a, there's a, a negative, too, to this. Mentoring. I mean, men are afraid to mentor young women executives because they're afraid of, of being you know, maligned as a Harvey Weinstein type. And that's, that's bad for women. And, and I worry about that. I mean, I think that's, and I've talked to any number of women who fear that is happening. The other thing that's in excess, I think Me Too is a very positive movement and has had a salutary effect. But one of the, one of the worries you have is that when you have an extreme case like Harvey Weinstein, we tend to group everyone else into that extreme case. Al Franken, former senator. I mean, he didn't rape anyone. I'm not saying he, 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 should, be he should be embarrassed, okay? He, he forcibly kissed a woman, but he didn't rape anyone. And there are many other people who are not in that category. So here we are, if, you, if you're a liberal and you believe in reformation, reform, rehabilitation in prison, you believe in pardons. People should be able to get a pardon if they're contrite, if they show that they've learned something from what they did. Now, if you've committed a crime, you don't get a pardon without serving a, a real sentence. Finally, Ken, what about the impact uh, on the film industry when it comes to independent productions? A young Tarantino, a kid, I mean, there, there no longer are any video stores, but the kind of kids sitting in front of their computer immersed in movies like Carantino has a wonderful work of art in them. Um, are there still channels to find uh, ways of distributing your creativity uh, in a way that everyone will get to see it beyond YouTube? It, it, um, I mean, we, 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 in other words, 
the good bit of, of Harvey Weinstein, his taste, his judgment, his commercial acumen, his marketing genius. Um, are there still people around like that in Hollywood? Yeah, I mean, it, the world has changed, as you as you suggest. I mean, you know, the movie theaters are now interested in the big extravagance of the sequels, et cetera. But look at, look at Netflix. Look at some of the streaming services. Roma won an Academy Award a couple of years ago. That was very much a Miramax type type movie. So foreign films appear on, on, on the streaming services and you don't need to be able to prove box office in the theater over a weekend for a streaming service. They have continued support over years. So Netflix, Amazon are running lots of foreign films and keeping them on the air for, for months, years. And so, yeah, I, I, I think independent films are appearing they're not extinct, and they're appearing in, on on different platforms, digital platforms that didn't exist ten years ago. Ken, we need to bottle up your optimism, your sunniness. Where does it come from? No, well, it, it I, I see. Actually, I'm, I think I'm a little more complicated than that. Intellectually, I'm not an optimist. Emotionally, I am. I don't know how to get up in the morning, and you know, and not be optimistic. Uh, I don't want to, otherwise I'd stay in bed all day. But if I think about it too much, I would stay in bed all day. Well, maybe we all need to choose those wonderful colored t-shirts that you're wearing. I think that will cheer all of us up. I'm going to get out of black, Ken, and get into pink. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Enjoy talking to you.